Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamp, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 412 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week by the undefeated super featherweight prospect, the world contender, Mr. Archie Sharp. Archie, good to have you on, my man. How you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me on, mate. It's good to be on. I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, yeah, very good, my man. Thanks for filling in. Um, Eddie uh, couldn't make this week due to a few uh, issues, I guess. And uh, yeah, I really am um, happy that you've stepped in. Um, we did this in the past, I think. Oh, it's got to be probably a couple of years ago now. But um, yeah, yeah, it's good to have you back on. Before we get into things, by the way, how's things with you? What's the latest on you, just in a nutshell, Arch? Yeah, all good, my own. Thanks, mate. Just, uh, just training, just training away, and just in a few negotiations now of trying to get some opponents uh, over the line and some fights. There we go. Cannot wait to see what happens next for you. But before we, before we get to all of that, let's let's start with the review part. Here, we're going to start with this one that went down last Friday, September first. It was at the Bolton Whites Hotel in Bolton. It was live on Channel Five. Um, couple fights to mention here. I'm going to start with the undercard just briefly. Um, Samuel Antwi with a KO in the twelfth and final round against a very very game Mason Cartwright. Now nineteen and four with a draw. Antwi now seventeen and two. It was for the vacant British super welterweight title. Cartwright right KO'd on his feet actually it was it kind of reminded me of um when David Price got knocked out by Povetkin where he was kind of like knocked out but stiff and standing up a little bit like Terry Harper when she got knocked out by Alicia Baumgartner it was the same kind of thing um really good win for Antwi like I say I think the fight was was competitive Antwi started started the fight really well he ended a lot of the early rounds well as well you know ended the round well fresh in the mind of the judges um i think honestly it was like fight of the year uh contender domestically and ended with a with with definitely a contender for knockout of the of the year for sure um getting to the main event though arch i'm going to come to you here it was for the vacant ibo light heavyweight world title Lyndon arthur now 23 and 1 an unexpected ko in the 10th round um brian suarez in the other corner 18 and 1 he's now 18 and 2 um prior to this he had knocked out 17 of his 18 opponents and the one loss was by knockout so doesn't usually hear the final bell didn't hear the final bell here um but yeah what did you think of it obviously Arthur down in round four as well that was unexpected and then Suarez um counted out following that left hook to the body in round 10. Yeah of course I thought it was a good fight um like you say he, uh, I was very shocked to see Arthur get get caught that sort of with um and go down and he was hurt it was hurt in the fourth he was hurt for a good couple of rounds after that um I was 
I wasn't too sure um, what I was expecting with Arthur because I, I'm not sure if you agree, but I thought he looked really stiff, um, and I'm not too sure what what that was. If he's because he, he's not normally as stiff as that, he looked really stiff and he looked really readable. Cause that right hand over the top was was getting delivered like well a bit too often really. Um, so, but yeah, like you say, he pulled it out of the bag, got himself a good win, good body shot there. Um, and it was obviously a hurtful body shot because it was a delayed reaction. He didn't just get hit and go straight down. He got the shot landed and there was a couple of seconds in between and then that was it. He was not getting up for love or money. Yeah, good assessment. I mean, like I say, this, this guy, Suarez, came out of nowhere and I was a little bit sceptical. I thought, you know, in my mind, the fight's probably not going to go the distance. This guy either knocks you out or gets knocked out. And when he had Lyndon down, I was very surprised. I think Lyndon has looked a bit different since that second yard fight. I don't think he's looked too yep. great since then. Didn't look great. I agree. Didn't look great last time out against Boris Crichton. Went 10 rounds with, with him. And I think Crichton had about 48 hours notice for the fight um, and then yeah gets in with this guy here and was 100% losing he was on his way to losing that fight on points I think Suarez has got to kick himself as well he almost had it in the bag and he gets hit with that body shot out of nowhere um, so yeah happy for Lyndon he's a friend of the show he's been on a few times really happy for him but yeah it wasn't a convincing win all in all and I think he's in a bit of a tough spot and um, yeah. I, I want to see him maybe put in another domestic dust up there's enough names there at light heavy um put him in with one of those guys before pushing him onto you know the bigger scene he's he's ibo um world light heavyweight champion fantastic great but um getting in with these guys man if you lose to a guy who no one's heard of you're in a terrible spot even if the guy's good and this guy was just an unknown quantity and he almost you know, he almost ended up losing that fight linden arthur uh, moving now to brayhead uh, the brayhead arena uh, in Glasgow, Scotland, just one fight to touch on here. Ricky Burns with a TKO in round eight yes. against Willie yes. Limond. Ricky He's Burns back. now now forty five and eight with a draw. Um, Willie Limond now forty two and six. I said it on last week's show. I don't think uh, you know Ricky Burns was going to really struggle with 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 Willie Limond. I think you know. Um, Willie Limond at the height of his career was was nowhere near Ricky Burns at the height of his. And as I'm sure you know, Arch, I know that you've obviously been in, in that matchroom gym a few times. I'm guessing you've probably seen Ricky down there a few times. Um, Spied Ricky, yep, a few times myself. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's 40 years old now, but I thought he looked very, very good for a 40-year-old man. Um, his feet were excellent. Uh, I don't want to see him carrying on. Obviously, he's he's, he's a legend. You know, he's he's already sealed his uh, his his legacy. But he's always, always, from what I've heard, Archie lived the life on the outside, and it showed. Yeah, I agree. Like you say, longevity in the sport because of that reason. He even when I most go down sparring him, um, he was uh, he's obviously a lot older than myself, and the engine and the work rate was always there. There was that was never to question. And um, like he just lives the life, mate. He does everything correctly. Uh, he doesn't blow up overweight. He stays fit. He stays in the gym, and uh, he's surrounded by he was surrounded by great great other athletes as well. So, like Ricky Burns is a legend. He's a really nice fellow as well. Like I said, I've done many rounds with Ricky, and um, yeah, it depends what it, what he does from now on. I'm not sure whether he'll fight again, um, but you just don't know with Ricky. He just he just loves the sport and he loves to be in the ring. 
Yeah, all the best to Ricky there. And then, yeah, the final card to mention of this review part of the show was obviously the big one at the Manchester Arena, Lancashire, United Kingdom, live on Sky Sports Box Office. Going to touch on the undercard. Lauren Price with a win. She's now 5-0, the Olympic gold medalist. A sixth-round technical decision there against Lolita Mazea, who didn't have much notice for the fight, but had a really big record, 18-1. and she'd been, uh, she, she'd been beaten in that one loss to Savannah Marshall as well. Uh, Lauren Price, like I say, with the win, um, it was a cut. It was a cut on the left eye of Mazea that caused the doctor to step in. It went to the cards and, yeah, like I say, technical decision for Lauren Price. It wasn't televised, so I didn't actually see it. Lauren Price already wants a fight with Natasha Jonas. Um, yeah, that's a, that, that's, that'd be a great fight. It's a massive step up, obviously. Um, also on the card, Florian Marku with a first round TKO against Dylan Moran. Um, that was quite unexpected. I think, yeah, unexpected. Yeah. I think. I think. You know. I, I thought Marku. I thought he'd win, but I thought there's a chance he might struggle. I thought that um, Dylan Moran was more of a boxer kind of thing, could give him a few issues. Um, I was saying as well on last week's show. It's, it's funny with Florian because, um, yeah, he didn't. He didn't look great against a guy called Maxim Prodan, but then he come back and, you know, he, he obliterated Chris Jenkins. No one's ever done that to him, and he got another obliteration here. Um, yeah, 13-0 with a draw now. First round TKO. Dylan Moran now 18-2. and There was a bit of bad blood, I think. I think Florian Marku kind of brings that with everyone he fights, but good to see the guys showing good sportsmanship afterwards. A few videos going around, both guys embracing in the dressing room. Um, also on the card, Fraser Clark with a win now, 8 and and oh, a retirement in round six. Dave Allen didn't come out for round seven. He's now 21 and six with two draws. Friend of the show, Dave Allen, was always going to be a really tough fight. Um, almost, though, almost Clark looked like he was on the verge of being disqualified. Two points deducted for low blows in the sixth round. Um, he kept hitting Dave Allen low. Dave Allen kept making a mill of it. Fraser Clark, um, yeah, I mean, dominated the fight, really. Um, didn't let... Allen work close at all. Whenever they were close, Fraser would grab hold, and from a distance, he was, you know, letting the shots rip in. And also, he kept finding a lovely right uppercut time and time again. But Dave Allen, as we know, tough as they come, um, hasn't boxed anyone of note since losing to David Price about six years ago. And um, and yeah, you know, good to see him not actually get hurt badly. But yeah, retired on his stall. I think um, a perforated perforated eardrum. Um, yeah, all the best to both guys there. Um, what else did we have on the card? Michaela Mayer with a win. She's now 19-1, and one, a points win against Sylvia Bartot, who's now 11-3 and three with a draw. Um, yeah, wasn't a great fight, that one, to be totally honest with you. I do like Mayer. She's another friend of the show, but I thought she could have possibly got a stoppage here, but no, it wasn't to be. And I think, again, this fight was at 140. She's only just moved up to 135. I'm not even sure why this fight was at 140. Um, she actually came in over that weight. She weighed in at 141 and a quarter. Interesting. Um, also on the card as well, Adam Azim, now 9-0. and A unanimous decision over 10 against Aram Fanian, who was from Ukraine. He's now 23-2. and He was actually a decent fighter. He, he, he could certainly fight. Um, I gave him a couple of rounds, actually. Um, 
Um, Adam Azim seemed to just be cruising early on. I, I really didn't like what I was seeing, actually. A lot of singular shots. Um, he's got a fantastic piercing jab, though. But he just wanted to jab, jab. And he'd sometimes put a right hand behind it, a little one-two. But I didn't see enough combinations. And then as the fight went on... Um, I think he hurt Fanian quite late on. I think it was probably about round eight, something like that. And then after that, he started to let his hands go. He started to show his class, and he went through the gears a bit and looked really good. And at one point, it looked like a stoppage could be coming, but it didn't come in the end. 9-0, and unanimous decision over 10, like I say. Wouldn't mind seeing Fanian again. Um, what else on that card? Two more fights to mention there. Mark Heffron with a huge... Huge upset loss to Jack Cullen. Mark, Mark Heffron now 29-3 and three with a draw. TKO'd in round three by Jack Cullen. Now 22-4 and four with a draw. Uh, it was for the British and Commonwealth super middleweight titles. It was such an upset here. A lot of people were completely writing Cullen off. And I said it on last week's show. Cullen gets thrown in to lose to so many people. Every time he fights, I go through that list of people. He got thrown in against John Harding Jr., took his O. He got thrown in against Felix Cash, got knocked out, fair enough. Gets thrown in with Zach Chelly, gets a draw. Gets thrown in with John Doherty, beats him, takes his O. Thrown in with Avni Yildirim, beats him. Thrown in with uh, Kevin Saggio, got knocked out. Thrown in with Diego Pacheco, special prospect, gets knocked out. Gets in with Mark Heffron, and, and actually knocks Heffron out. And he's not a noted puncher at all, Cullen. But Heffron walked right into the shot. Got a little bit greedy. The pair had sparred many, many rounds. That usually means that we're going to see a distance fight. But Heffron was expected to get the knockout here. And no one expected Cullen to do that. I'm really happy for him. Um... You know, look massive in there as well, you know, when the pair were next to each other. But really, really happy for Cullen. I think um, this is really the fo the win his career, I think, needed. And he's a much better fighter than he gets credit for. And, yeah, I'm just really happy for him, but gutted for Heffron at the same time. Uh, yeah, the main event, uh, Liam Smith now 33-4 with a draw. He was TKO'd in this rematch in round 10. By Chris Eubank Jr. now 33 and 3. Smith down once in round 4 and then once in round 10. He was cut as well. The referee ended up jumping in. Um, I'm going to try and be really brief and I'll come to you in a second, Arch. Um, round 1 yeah. I felt was a very scrappy round. Probably would, would edge it to Eubank. But in all honesty, it was nothing worth... Uh, not, nothing landed worth mentioning. It was really messy. The referee had a word during one of the moments in that round. It was just so scrappy. Round two, Eubank round for me. Again, I didn't think there was too much in it. I felt Smith was being very patient at that point. Uh, Eubank, I felt already, you could see, was fighting a lot more intelligently. He wasn't being wild like his old self. He was happy to take a few steps back. Uh, you could see that he certainly respected Liam Smith, obviously. And, yeah, his guard was up as well, permanently. And I'd never seen Eubank with his guard up as much as I'd already seen in those first two rounds. Like, Eubank doesn't like to have a high guard, but he did have it in this fight here. Round three, another Eubank round. Smith, I felt, was constantly on the front foot, but just wasn't throwing much. Eubank, again, boxing smartly, not overcommitting, not jumping in like he normally would if he lands a good shot. Um, obviously, in the fourth round, Smith goes down. It was the same round that Smith got Eubank out in the first fight as well. Um, yeah, it was an uppercut to the chin, and very cleverly, Smith spits his gum shield out, 
Uh, you could see he had his wits about him. The corner take ages to clean it. He probably had about 25 seconds to recover with the count and the washing of the gum shield. Big round for Eubank, though. Um, Smith was taking a bit of a hiding. Round five, another Eubank round. Um, he came out like a firework. He unloaded and almost emptied everything on Smith on the ropes. Um, a lot of the shots, I think, were being rode by Smith. A lot were being t took on the gloves. Liam was on the... He was back on the front foot um, towards the second half of the round Eubank still probably won every round up to that point but Smith looked quite strong again I felt like he weathered the storm and and finished around strongly I was excited for the next few rounds but then yeah like I say Eubank started to just turn over um another Eubank round in round six um I, I already needed a knockout for Smith or, or at least a few knockdowns for it to turn in his favor the pace was starting to slow in that sixth round um, Smith still largely unable to land anything of note on Eubank. And by the way, Eubank's jab was electric. I'd never seen it as good. And yeah, from that point onwards, like I say, dominated round seven, dominated round eight, dominated round nine. And then in round 10, got the stoppage. Um, I think there's some referees that wouldn't have jumped in. I think it was probably a bit premature. So I can understand that Smith will be angry that he was actually stopped and he's got a loss by a TKO to, to Eubank. But at the same time, I think he was not in any position to win at all. And I didn't really want to see him get his head punched in for another six, uh, another six minutes. Um... And yeah, impressive from Eubank. I think definitely something was up with Smith. They're talking about the weight cut. He lost three stone arch. That's just mental. Um, shouldn't have ballooned up like that, obviously. And it, it seemed like he rolled one or maybe even both ankles in the fight when we've seen a few replays. Um, it didn't look great on his feet. And he couldn't find angles that he normally finds. And also, the, the, the power in his shots didn't really seem there. But anyway... Forget about what I thought about it. What did you think about it, my man? Yeah, so I think what you've obviously nailed it on the head from, from round to round, and I agree, I, I didn't have Smith winning any rounds, to be honest with you. Um, I think it was all one-way traffic. To put the best stuff in Eubank box, to be fair. Uh, what's interesting is, obviously, as you know, I trained with Roy, and um, when I spoke to Roy after the fight, he said that's what the game plan was on the original on the original fight to get behind that jab and kind of like establish that jab nice and early high guard as well. But he didn't do any of that on the first, on, on the first fight. And then obviously he's come out and he's basically what Roy was saying is, is he knew Eubank had that in him. Whereas myself, even after the first fight, I said to, to Roy, I said, look, I don't believe, I don't think Eubank's just good enough. I just think no matter what, if they box a hundred times, I think Smith beats him a hundred times. Well, I was wrong there because, like I say, it was a, such a great performance from Eubank. Very sharp. Like I say, he used that jab. He established it nice and early. And he was just so dominating through the whole through the whole fight. And he just grew with confidence every minute of the rounds. He Every minute by minute, he was just growing with more and more confidence. And he was just bossing him. He was stronger. He was just pushing Smith all around. So, But like you say, I don't. it's hard because I don't want to take credit away from where credit's due to Eubank. But... It did look like the Smith that I know and seen before. Um, so there was definitely something up. It's just hard. Oh, you don't blow that sort of weight. It, regardless, I know you probably picked up an injury, but that's a lot. That's a lot of weight to be shifting. So 
I don't know, and he's a man's man, and he and he and he's got obviously his ego. He don't want his pride. He don't, he don't want to, he don't want to hurt that by having to pull out the fight. He agreed to the fight. He didn't want to lose the rematch because obviously that was obviously going to be on the cards if if the fight never went when the fight was supposed to happen. Eubank would have probably walked away um, and went for something else. But but like you say, he rolled his ankle a couple of times as well. But he seems to say that that's that's a couple of it's happened a few times before, and he's just got on with it, and there's no excuse there. But credit where credit's due, I thought Eubank box brilliant, and he was just a better fighter on the night. It'd be interesting to see if they do do a trilogy, um, but I'm not I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure because Smith was really, um, yeah, he was really against it. I just don't see what he could do differently next time. He just didn't throw no shots. Yeah, it's so funny because when the first fight got made, Eubank was the big favourite, and then Smith knocks him out. Then in the rematch, all of a sudden, Smith's the big favourite, and then Eubank wins in a way, in such a dominating fashion, that a lot of people don't want to see the third fight like myself. And if the third fight were to happen, Eubank would now be the massive favourite again. It's it's just so funny the way it works. It was really, really weird set of... of um, of, of circumstances a, a weird chain of events but anyway that brings the review part to a close the final thing for me to do in this part is to welcome this week's special guest ladies and gentlemen please welcome the undefeated super lightweight contender it is of course mr richardson hitchens richardson welcome to the show my man thank you for having me Hey, it's my pleasure, sir. So, yes, the first time we've had you on, so welcome once again. Earlier today, I watched back that video of you and Eddie Hearn walking around your neighborhood. Um, I don't want to necessarily ask you the same questions Eddie asked you, but boxing really was a way out for you, Richardson, wasn't it? Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, um, you know, ever since I found a sport, a sport of boxing and um, laced up a pair of gloves and, you know, boxing was an outlet to show me to show me it was more in the world than just my block or my neighborhood where I'm from, you know. So uh, once I figured that out and I just made sure I dedicated myself 100% to the sport and um, I told myself that that's what I, this is what I was going to do and this is what I was going to uh, try to achieve to become a perfection in, a pe- perfectionist in and um, hopefully one day become the best in the sport. And obviously, as an amateur, you box some amazing fighters, man. Gary Antoine Russell, Virgil Ortiz Jr., Jaron Ennis, even guys like Jermaine Ortiz, even guys like Pat McCormack. Who was the best amateur out of all those guys that you boxed as an amateur, Richardson? Um, I think um, all the, all those guys were, were great. Um were great for my um, experience coming up. Because, you know, a lot of the guys that you named around the time I boxed them, they had a lot more experience than me. They was they was in the boxing gym since they were, you know, little young kids, maybe from the age of um, five, six, seven. Me, uh, myself, I started boxing at 12, 13, you know, which sounds like a young age, but it took, it took, it took some catching up. Because, you know, even, even going to the Olympics, when I went to the Olympics, I was 18 years old, but I went to the Olympics and I was only boxing for five years while guys like Gary Antoine probably was in the gym since five, six years old. So they, I probably, they've probably already been in, been competing for 12 years. And I, and I was a guy that was, I was God gifted and I had a lot of talent. So even though I was boxing for five years and really wasn't um, experienced, 
I was able to compete at the highest level as an amateur. So um, I feel like all them guys were great, great for my experience coming up in boxing to, you know, learn different things and see different things. Yeah, I think you make a good point there. Even though you start at 12, these guys were starting at, you know, much younger ages. And like you say, you had to catch up because by the time, uh, you know, by the time they were 12, they already had a few years experience, of course. And as for Gary Antoine Russell, you say he probably started at five years old. He probably started at five months old or five weeks old coming from that family. Um, You mentioned there you represented Haiti at the 2016 Olympic Games, the the nation of your parents. Was that a proud moment for you despite the Olympic run obviously not going to plan as such? Um, Yeah, I think think that... uh... I would have meddled in the Olympic Games if I didn't um fight Gary Russell yeah. the first day. I think that I was extreme I think that I was extremely talented to compete with the guys. You know, Gary Russell, when I fought him, he, we were somebody that shared the ring with each other before. We sparred numerous times before, so we knew each other and he knew me and he, he had uh he had uh he came from a boxing family. He comes from a boxing family where all his brothers box, his father's his trainer, and I'm and I'm just a young kid coming from Brooklyn, just from a boxing program. You know, I'm not coming. I would, like I said before, with with four with five year boxing experience, where he had a a brother and and you know he had brothers and and people in his family that could give him game plans and you know kind of uh, guide him through the ropes. Where with, with me, I just kind of had to take what I could get and learn from just being a sponge and 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 uh, adapt and adapt from um, just my talent and just go from there. And me making it to Olympics with with little experience showed me that I was, I was God gifted. And I was, I I knew from then that boxing was going to be something I was going to do for the rest of my life. So I think that I'm going to Olympics with with my experience. uh, It was, it was great for me and everybody around me was proud. Yeah, no, for sure. And obviously you made the move to turn professional in early 2017. Your pro debut was on the Keith Furman Danny Garcia undercard. I mean, that's crazy in itself. Um, at that point, were you were you signed to Mayweather promotion straight out of your uh, pro debut? Yeah, straight out of the Olympic Games, uh, I took the... Uh... I took the opportunity right away to sign with uh, Mayweather Promotions because they were the ones willing to give me an opportunity and give me uh, what I needed at that time, you know, turning professional. And um, they were interested, you know. Uh, I, so I took. I, I was grateful for, for Floyd being interested in me, and he seen something in me. Leonard, Leonard Ellaby also seen something in me, and uh, we started building from there. And I want to touch on two fights you had um, I want to skip forward to some of the early fights, but I want to touch on two fights that you had a couple years back. In back-to-back fights, you boxed former world champion Argenis Mendez and also a good fighter in Malik Hawkins. Um, talk to me about both of those wins, if you can, just briefly, Richardson, particularly the Mendez one. In boxing, Mendez is what I'd call a wily old fox, a tricky style for some of the younger guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, when I fought Mendez, I actually seen him box one of... Uh... He boxed one of Floyd fighters in the Barclays Center. I think uh, Juan Hernandez or Geraldez, he boxed him. I think Geraldez was 16, 17 and 0. And, um, you know, at the time, uh, I think it was under the Wilder card. It was, it, was, it was a big card in the Barclays. And I remember just um, 
Actually, the funny story, I was about eight, I was about seven and oh, I want to say seven and oh around that time. Haraldus was old. He's probably around my, probably around 27, 28 at that time. He was like 16, 17 and oh, and Mendez was supposed to be his big breakout fight. I know that uh, I was sitting at the table and I'm watching Leonard Ellaby just do his interviews about um, the kid Haraldus that's about to fight Mendez, saying how if he wins this fight, this is going to line him up for a world title and this is his coming out party and and I was just looking. I was like, I was like eight and zero at that time. I was about eight and zero at that time. And I'm looking. I'm like, damn. Like I can't wait till I get there. And then I remember I go to the Barkley and Floyd. Floyd came to the Barkley to see Haraldes, you know, take his big step up against Mendez. And I'm watching Mendez box and other guy box. And I'm like, I'll be both of them. And I was about seven, eight and zero at that time. I fought on the undercard. I was like, I'll be both of them. I'm the guy that that Floyd's supposed to be coming to the Barkley to watch, you know, have this big step up against this former world champion. And that fight ended up being a draw. And uh, I took opportunity a few months later, um, a few months later, you know, uh, when COVID happened, um, I think that uh, a lot of guys were, were we, we was fighting a show box, but um, Mayor of Promotions was having a lot of the young guys, the young prospects have the opportunity to go fight on Showtime Championship Boxing. So, I told Leonard Ellaby, uh, I want to fight on Showtime. I don't want to fight in Showbox no more, and I'm ready for a step up. And he, and I told him, uh, give me Mendez right away. And Ellaby was like, you sure you think you can beat him? And I was like, yeah, for sure. So around that time, I probably was, when I fought Mendez, the probably was 10, 10, 11, and 0. I was really inexperienced. Uh, Mendez been through world title, numerous world title fights. He fought numerous guys, numerous world champions, and a lot of top names in around in, in around his division. So. I just felt like I just felt like I I couldn't be stopped, and I just felt like Mendez was was nowhere near my league. And uh, I think uh, if I would have had more experience, and if if I was if I wasn't out a whole year before I fought Mendez, because I fought Mendez in COVID during COVID, so we was out for a long time. So if I if I would have had more activity and had more experience, I think I would have possibly stopped Mendez. But I think that I did good. For being a young kid, you know, his first big step up, it was a huge step up. And um, I got over the jitters, and um, I performed, and I did what I had to do to come to come home with the victory. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you going into detail like that. Obviously, it's great to hear these little backstories, how, you know, you wanted to be the guy that Floyd came out to see, and obviously you went on to beat this guy. Um, yeah, no, fantastic to, to, to discuss that. Um and obviously, yeah, you signed with Matram in the late part of 2022. You've had two fights with them now, about to have three. How's things been biz- business-wise with them? Is everything going well? Um, yeah, I think I think things is going um, it's going okay. You know, as far as business, I, I want to say it's going it's going great because I feel like uh, <clears throat> I feel like honestly, like um, Eddie's giving me opportunities in in, in boxing. You know. Uh, you know, um, there was a point where I didn't understand the business and I didn't understand um, how how just everything goes. And and um, you know, it's guys around my age or with my ta- or with with a lot of talent that's 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 not even signed to a huge promotion or that came and or is beckoning to even get a television fight. I, it, we see these guys all the time in the gyms, and I think that for me to be a guy at 25. Uh, headlining my own show, having the opportunity to go against um, a guy like Jose. Pedraza, it's a great um, it's a great opportunity for me to prove to uh, to uh, the world that I am who I say I am, and I am, and when I say I am who I say I am, I, I believe that I'm one of the most talented 
young fighters in boxing. I'm, I'm one of the most gifted fighters, and I think that uh, the boxing world already knows that, but I think that it's still questions. So each and every performance I'll show, and I think that um, as far as the business, I'll get my just due. I just got to keep winning. Because the reason why I say it ain't great, because you see guys like Devin Haney when they first came in, um, when they first came and signed with Eddie, uh, they they had they automatically headline versus lower opposition than guys like um, Antonio Moran. They were finding headlines, making tons of money, and um, and guys like Montana Love got a headline versus a guy in Stevie Sparks, which is Stevie Sparks was game, but he's not on the level on on the level as a Jose Pedraza on paper. We'll say even guys like Edgar Belinga fighting. Um, I forgot the last dude he fought. What's the guy Edgar fought, Brandon? Um, um, what's the guy Quigley. Quigley. The guys like Quigley. You know, Edgar comes to uh, match and he heads on to New York versus the guy at Quigley. These are all guys that are lower level competition. You see my first headline, in order for me to even have to get the opportunity, I had to take on a threat in Jose Pedraza. And it is what it is. Like I said, it, it, nothing was never handed easy to me from even my amateur days. And, it, and, it, and it, nothing is going to change. So I just got to keep working. Richardson, three times there you mentioned Jose Pedraza. I think you're confusing him with Zepeda. Jose, Jose, oh, say, I'm sorry, Jose Zepeda. Jose, Jose Zepeda. I just want to make right. sure. Oh, I just want to make sure that you know who you're fighting. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I'm tripping. I actually put that on Nevada. Uh, oh, okay, no, 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 okay, okay. I put Jose Zepeda because I, I, I was just filling out the Nevada. Uh, Application. I'm like, did I put Jose Pedraza and I put Zepeda? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Jose Zepeda. <laughs> yeah, let's touch on your yeah. next fight, man. Um, it's a it's a super, super, super exciting fight from a fan's point of view. I cannot wait for it. You'll be boxing, as you say, former world champion Jose Zepeda. Um, yeah. September 23rd in Orlando, Florida, live on DAZN. Richardson, this is by far the biggest test of your career to date. What are your thoughts on Zepeda as a fighter? It sounded just when you were speaking about him there that there's a lot of respect there. Yeah, Zepeda is definitely... Uh, you got to respect Zepeda because he's a guy that... Uh, he's showed that he's he's game. He's been campaigning for world champ, world titles for for a long long time now in his career he's he's fought for world title three times he's made it to that world to that level obviously to compete for a world title and that making it to that level in its own is already a huge accomplishment um he's uh there's nothing I could say to to uh to pay that's gonna throw him off or there's nothing that's gonna you know throw off his um there's nothing you know it's it's, it's different you know he's been through uh he's been in uh uh, I believe he fought. I, even though Pedraza have a lot of fights, I don't, I don't. I'm not sure if he went ever went 12 rounds because I know all his world title. I, oh yeah, he fought 12 rounds with um, Jose Ramirez actually. So he's been at 12 rounds. He's been there with former world champions. But 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 when I look at a guy like uh, Zapata, when I look at a guy like Zapata, um, I believe that he never fought a, a, a talented fighter like me. I think when you look at guys like the guys that he fought. They were all they were all uh, gritty fighters, you know, come forward fighters, strong fighters. But I think when you come to me, when you when you when you uh, when he get in there with me, it's it's, it's going to be the sweet signs. It's going to be a, a a whole different type of style. Stylistically, I don't think he ever dealt with a style like me in a, in a in a fight. So we'll see. I just think I think that uh, the how sharp and how smart I am 
is going to play a major key, and Zapata's experience won't matter in that ring. I'll overwhelm him with my skills. Now, Regis Progre comes on this podcast quite regularly, and when he was getting ready to to fight Zapata, I remember him being so confident, and I had to remind him, like, Regis, don't overlook Zapata. Look at what he did to the likes of, like, a Josue Vargas, another prospect coming up. I feel like Zapata, if you're a pretender, Zapata's the guy to find you out. I feel like he's legit, he's world level, and he's, he, he, his power is certainly real. He's got a, a huge Mexican heart. How difficult of a fight are you expecting come September 23rd? It doesn't seem like you feel it's going to be that hard. Um... I think that, like I said, with my skills, I'm, I'm, I'm known. I think that, I think you have certain fighters in boxing that can make these anticipated fights that fans, the fans and the people are excited for. That you know, believe that it's going to be a war and a, and a, and a hard fight, which it might be. We never know, but I feel like I'm one of those fighters that can make a, a fight that's supposed to be hard look fairly easy on the outside. So. We never know. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of calculations, a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, adjustments. I'm gonna have to I'm I'm gonna have to make it, and there's a lot of uh, adjustments. The Peter also is gonna have to make in there because it won't be easy. It won't be easy to uh, it won't be easy to uh, I, I I just feel like it won't be easy to figure me out when he get in there. It won't. It, 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 I'm no Josue Vargas. I'm no Regis Progre. I'm no uh, Jose Ramirez. I'm gonna my boxing level is on a whole different level than them guys. And like I said, September 23rd, there's a reason why I'm here with only 16 fights. There's a reason why I was beating guys like our um, Genesis Mendez, who's actually a, a former world champion, with only 11, 10, 10, 11 professional fights. There's a reason why I ran through competition like that at a young age with very little experience in boxing. There's a reason, and I will remind the world again. September 23rd, the level I'm on. And a win here, Richardson. Where does that put you? I know you're already ranked fifth with a WBO, I think seventh with the IBF, but you would be beating one of, if not, the best guys in the division that doesn't currently have a belt. Right. Where would it put me? It'll be, it'll put me, uh, a win with, uh, Zepeda will, I don't, I, I mean, like I said, put it, just put him in front of me and, see what I can do with them. Uh like I said, when you talk about the one forty division, I'm the guy. I'm the I'm the guy with the most skills. I'm the guy with the with the guy gifts and ability. I'm the one that's gonna uh gonna uh bring down a lot of the guys that, you know, uh the hype you know, the hype or the world the boxing world sees. I think that the uh I think after this fight, um if it's a world title, if we get a world title opportunity It'll be great. If not, we keep getting more experience and keep building. And I definitely, 2024, I'll be a, a world champion. I believe that I'll become world champion if if not this year. But we're definitely looking to uh, get one more in if, if uh, you know, everything goes well on September 23rd, you know, no injuries or anything. We definitely want one more fight. So, um, yeah, we'll see how, we'll see how uh, everything goes. But I definitely think I, I, my name should definitely be mentioned as far as, you know, one of the top guys at 140. 
and you mentioned it there, the 140 division right now is seriously hot. I mean, obviously, Tiafimo just beat Taylor. Progre beat Zapeda. Uh, Progre is, is obviously going to be fighting Haney, who's now moving up. Gary Antoine Russell's knocking on the door. You've got Subriel Matias with the IBF. You've got Rolando Romero with the WBA. There's so many massive fights that can be made. Um, I wanted to ask, is there anyone actually on your radar for a future fight, or is it just the champions and whoever has the belt at a time? I mean, the closest guy, I'm, the closest guy door, I'm, the closest guy door, I'm, I'm knocking at right now is Teofimo Lopez. I, I think he, I believe he has the WBO, and um, if we can get a mandatory spot for that, that'll be great. Uh, you know, the I think that's, I think that's what's going to likely happen. I think next year, um, me and Teofimo will definitely, Teofimo will have to defend his belt against me, and uh, I'll be looking to take Teofimo uh, world title here in New York in 2024. I think that'll be a, it's going to be a massive fight. So I think that's the, uh, it looked like we're on a collision course. I would love to see that fight. I think it would be fantastic. Um, I wanted to ask you who you felt was the best fighter at 140, but I've got a sneaky suspicion you're going to say yourself. So let's leave you out of it. <laughs> Behind you, Richardson, who is the best at 140? Behind you. I honestly don't know. I think that I think everybody. I think it's a lot. A lot of players at 140. You got a guy like uh, you got guys like um, Sabriel Matias. You got guys like me without a world title. You got guys like Gary Anderson without a world title. Oh man, there's so many competition. So much people at 140 where you can't name name the best because because you, you you got a guy right now like uh, Teofimo with a belt, but I, a lot of boxing fans would say if he if he comes up against me or Gary or Antoine, he'll lose, you know, and we don't even have belts yet. Or you got to, you got, there's just so many guys at 140, even the guy, Coelho, that, you know, he had, he, he uh, held a world title. Guys like Kenneth Sims, who people don't talk about at 140, Elvis Rodriguez, the, the, the list goes on and on when it comes to, uh, so much uh, competition at 140, and um, I think that the last man standing at 140 should definitely be crowned as the best fighter. Like they yeah. should be pound for pound if, if a guy can if a guy can cement his name as the guy at 140 in this era. Because you know, uh, even though a guy like uh, uh, J Josh Taylor was able to go and um, win a world championship at uh, at, win a world championship at 140 and um, undis go undisputed into the uh, Ray class. I just feel like the talent and the, and the, the talent when Regis and, and 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 all these guys were were competing for for uh for competing for a world title is not as steep. You know what I'm saying? Because you got guys like Regis now and so much talent. I just can't. I just can't explain. I feel like when Regis won his belt, he he won it. I forgot the guy he. He beat it was a, it was a, it was the I think it was he beat Kira a guy Relic. For, yeah, Kira Relic, yeah. and you had you got guys like Ivan Baranchek, Baranchek who yeah. who 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 had a world title at that time. I felt like if I was around at that time, I would have had a world title easily, you know. But um, I feel like right now to get a world title at 140, you're gonna have to beat that guy. You see, Teofimo had to go grab a belt at 140. He has to come and beat. Taylor, uh, if Devin Haney or if Devin Haney wants a belt at 140, he has to beat Progray. If I want a belt at at uh, 140, I have to beat a guy like Devin Progray or Teofimo. So I think that it's just way different now. The competition at 140 is is 
at an all-time high right now. I actually agree. I think I think I think you're a hundred percent right with that. There's so many contenders that don't have a belt right now that are considered really good fighters, like obviously Zapeda, uh, Ramirez, Barboza, yourself, Russell, um, Jack Catterall, a guy that probably should have been undisputed. Uh, there's just so much. There's too many names to mention. Um, okay, coming down to my last real question for you, Richardson. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but I like to ask this question to everyone that we speak to from overseas. Favourite UK fighter, any era, it can be a guy still fighting now, it can be a guy who retired years ago. If you have one, if you don't, it's fine, but if you have one, who springs to mind, my friend? I would to say... I I like uh, Prince Nassim. Yes, <laughs> that's the most he, popular he, he answer, real, man. Everyone says. Yeah, yeah, because he was real, real. He was real, real, real. Uh, he was real. Uh, like he had so much charisma and swag when it came to him that you know his his presence was known in the ring even before he even you know showed his his skills. So I, I like him. Yeah, that is, like I say, the most popular answer. Everyone seems to love Prince. Just before we wrap things up, my man, I just want to say, if you've got any closing words to the listeners, particularly your supporters here in the UK, just sign out with a closing message. Say whatever you like before we let you go. Um, I love all my UK fans. You know, the UK, the the biggest boxing fans in the world. Hopefully one day Eddie can uh, bring me to the UK to... Uh, for a huge fight, you never know. It can be it maybe me and Catterall will can uh, match up over there, or even a guy like uh, you know any guy, any a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys uh, at 140, or a guy like O'Hara Davis can maybe one day you know uh, box in, in the UK. I would love to go out there, and if the UK fans are able to watch my fight September 23rd versus um, dangerous uh, former world champion Jose Zapata or live on the zone, please tune in. It's going to be an exciting night of boxing, and uh, there will be a lot of uh, greatness in the ring that night. So make sure all the fans, especially the UK fans, all the boxing fans, uh, tune in, and, I, and, and I'll appreciate it. I'm sure they will be tuned in, my friend. Listen, Richardson, it's been a real pleasure having you this week. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck for September 23rd, and we'll speak sometime after the fight. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. One fight uh, to announce in the news part. That's that's just all I have. Um, October the 14th, it's going to be going down at the Fort Bend Epicenter in Rosenberg, Texas. One fight to mention over here. We're going to see Janibek Alim Kanuli. Um, I think it's for the IBF and WBO world middleweight titles. He steps in with the undefeated Vincenzo Gualtieri, who's 21 and 0 with a draw. Um, he's got a fantastic Italian-sounding name, although he's completely German. Um, but all the best, though, to Gualtieri, because he's coming off a fantastic win last time out, a real upset against Esquiva Falcao. Took his O, become IBF world middleweight champion, and gets in with Alim Canuli straight away in 
uh, in, in a unification bout. So yeah, that's it for the news. Again, the date for that is October 14th. Moving on now to the preview part. We're going to start with this one here. It goes down tomorrow night at the Lac Limi Casino in Quebec, Canada. Two fights to mention over here. We're going to see Steve Claggett, who is 35-7 and with two draws. Um, he fights here for the NABF super lightweight title. He gets in with Carlos Sanchez, who is 24 and 1. Um, could be a good fight, this one. I've seen that Steve Claggett's a big favourite. I'd expect the fight probably to not go the distance because Carlos Sanchez is quite a big puncher and Claggett, you know, is a big puncher as well. So I think both men punch hard enough for this one to probably not go the full 10 that it's scheduled for. Claggett is in some good form as well and Carlos Sanchez, the one loss came by stoppage to Pedro Camper. I don't I don't think that's that's a great look, but... Anyway, could be a good fight, but all eyes to the main event over there, I think. We're going to see Christian Mbile, his record at the moment, 24-0. He's got uh, 20 by KO. He steps in with Demond Nicholson, who's 26-5 with a draw. It's for the WBC Continental America's super middleweight title. Uh, Nicholson, obviously, you know just kind of like an opponent for me um i've never rated him too highly like i say you go back he lost a split decision to steve rolls that doesn't look good got knocked out by jesse hart um won a split decision against journeyman mike guy um the only thing he did in recent years to get a bit of kind of recognition was he was the first guy to take edgar balanga the distance and at that point edgar balanga was 16 and 0 with 16 first round knockouts and he took him eight rounds he showed a bit of toughness there he put together three wins in a row then got in with demetrius andrade last time and he lost that fight convincingly. A 10-round unanimous decision, 100-88, to 88, all three judges' scorecards. So he completely got dominated by Andrade, as expected. That was eight months ago. He gets in with a completely different fighter here. And it's just a case of will Mbile be able to stop him or not. The bookies think that he will. I think there's an interesting bet on the over-under, which I think set at about six and a half rounds. So that's interesting there. Moving on, though, to the Peacock in Canning Town, London. This one, just one fight to mention, goes down on Saturday. We're going to see friend of the show, Nick Webb, the big heavyweight, 17-3. and three. It's a four-rounder. He gets in with a guy called Mo Islam Khan, who's 3-0. Never heard of the guy at all. But um, all the best to Nick Webb. Hopefully gets a good win there. And then, yeah, the final card to mention. It goes down on Saturday um, at the Rock Hill. Well, it's actually in a place called Rock Hill. I'm not sure what the arena's called. It's in South Carolina. And, yeah, it features friend of the show. He was on last week's show, the undefeated cruiserweight Craig Parker. He's 14-0 with 14 KOs, all within two rounds. He gets in with Antonio Brown. It's over six rounds. All the best there to Craig Parker. Like I say, friend of the show. Had him on last week. And he gets in with Antonio Brown, who's eight and three. All eight by KO and all three losses by KO. So I don't think we're going to see this fight go the distance. Both men combined have had 25 fights and none of them have gone the distance. So I don't think we're going to see six rounds played out here. All the best, though, to Craig Parker. And that brings the preview part to a close. So I just want to say, Art, before we close this this off thank you once again for stepping in for Eddie um, we've done this before and we'll probably do it again some other time but thank you so much for filling in at late notice my man no, it's all good thanks for having me on mate I enjoyed it
Fantastic. Right, well, there we go. Before we bring this part to a close, the final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 412 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Archie Sharp has been with me for the duration of the show. It's been really good having him on. He filled in for Eddie. Like I say, massive shout-out to Archie Sharp. Big fight coming for him, I'm sure, in the near future. Ranked number two in the world with a WBO. But it was good hosting the show with the undefeated super featherweight contender, Mr. Archie Sharp. So again, massive shout-out to him. But the biggest shout of all goes out to you, the listeners. Thanks once again for tuning in. Uh, That's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again same time next week.